Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to today's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Georgie Corridge-Cole, the founder and editor of Sherlux. And today I'm joined by Cariad Lloyd, a comedian, an actor, a writer and host of the Griefcast podcast, a show all about grief and death discussed with comedians. So as Cariad puts it herself, it's cheerier than it sounds. Uh, based on her own experience of losing her father aged just 15, each week, Harriad talks to a different guest to share their views on the pain, loss and weirdness that happens when somebody dies with past guests, including Monty Don, Edith Bowman, Sally Hughes and David Badil. Today, we're turning the tables to ask Harriad what her own experience meant to her, what hosting her podcast has taught her about what is still quite a taboo subject. Before we go any further, I have to say I'm also joined today by Sherlock's managing editor, Laura Black. Welcome, Laura. Uh, Laura's father died in 2019 and, as I said just before we went live, has left a huge, great big hole in her family's life. She's one of four daughters and he really was their rock. So I thought having Laura's own experience um, would be really additive today uh welcome ladies it feels like quite a gloomy conversation but a very important one nonetheless yeah yeah i don't think it has to be gloomy it can certainly make some people feel like that definitely (laughs) well you do it in such a brilliant way cariad and obviously anyone listening who's suffering must go listen to your podcast let's go back before we sort of come on to that let's go back and talk about your own situation your father died when you were 15 god what a difficult age it's never easy but what a particularly difficult age to lose a parent can you tell us how he died and what happened to your life and how it was turned totally upside down so yeah i was 15 when my dad died he died of pancreatic cancer uh, although initially it was secondary liver cancer we didn't realize we thought it was liver cancer and he was diagnosed in the february of 1998 and by the april he was dead but having done five years of Griefcast, i feel strangely lucky some days that you know I got to 15 (laughs) I've spoken to people who didn't even get there um, who lost them when they were much younger so I think in the grand scheme of things it is unlucky to use a parent as a teenager if unlucky is not quite the right word but yeah yeah, my life was definitely turned upside down by that experience definitely did you notice that he was getting ill before no, he was my dad is one of those really upsetting cases that makes healthy people feel a bit worried <laughs> because what people want to know is like, oh, he smoked and he was very overweight. But no, he was a marathon runner, triathlon runner. He was training for an Ironman, 44, very, very fit, very, very healthy, which is actually one of the reasons it was so quick because he was very young. He had a fast metabolism. So by the right. time it sort of entered his body, it just boom, went everywhere. He literally turned yellow in February. And that's when oh, they thought it was gosh. liver cancer and sort of went to hospital. And we all thought, oh, he just needs a liver transplant. And yeah, once they started looking, it was like, oh, it's in the pancreas. And 
pancreatic cancer is a particular, I mean, they're all nasty, <laughs> just because people get annoyed when I say it's a bad one, but it is a bad one. It, it's survival it's rates. It's quick, are, isn't it? It's survival rates are terrible because it doesn't have many symptoms. So it's not actually that quick compared to other cancers. The problem is if you don't have any symptoms You beforehand. don't know you've got it. Right. You don't know you've got it. So yeah, so there's amazing charities like PCUK and PCRF that are changing and doing loads of amazing research. And in the last five years, it's really changed. Are there any warning signs that people should, that you know of that in hindsight, yeah, your mother sort of thought, God, I wish I'd picked that up? No, no, God, no. <laughs> like, it's vague. But it's things like, you know, bloatedness and bowel changes. It's all that kind of general, you should go to the GP things. But I mean, I think that's important to acknowledge, like, sometimes there's nothing that can be done. Like, things yeah. just happen. People get cancer yeah. and you didn't know. How did you even begin to cope at 15? Well, I didn't really. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I don't think you do at 15. What's very common in bereavement with teenagers is that we don't really deal with it till we get to our 30s. That's a very common pattern. So you're a teenager, you don't really know what's happening. Then you hit your 20s and you're just like making lots of crazy choices and mistakes. And then you get to sort of 30, you think, hang on a minute, I think this might be because my dad died. <laughs> and then you hit therapy, hopefully. Do you have siblings? I do, yeah. I've got an older brother. Yeah, he's older four brother, years older. Okay. So he was 19. And that makes a, obviously quite a big difference because they had had conversations that we, me and my dad probably hadn't reached that place where we could. And they'd had a very difficult, obviously not to speak for him, but he'd been quite a wild adolescent, kind of come through that bit and they were kind of coming to the other side, whereas I hadn't really begun that journey at all. So yeah, I think often what we do with children and teenagers is we say, oh, look, they're so resilient. They're not. They just haven't dealt with it yet. <laughs> that's all. They're just yeah. very good at putting things over there. And that's not to say they won't deal with it. But I think sometimes we just look at them coping in inverted commas and we think, oh, they're fine. But that's not. So, so what happened when you got to your 30s then? Did, did you, well, it, it all came out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was kind of a slow car crash. You know, there was lots of little things that were happening and I had anxiety quite badly which I just thought was oh it's just a, I'm a bit of a warrior and I went to my mm. GP and I was like oh you know my gums are bleeding and I can't sleep Ooh. and you know I think about death all the time and he was like do you think you might be stressed and I thought oh yeah maybe it genuinely hadn't occurred to me and then he said well we can sort of start the process of trying to get you therapy but it took two years to get any therapy on the NHS. I oh, had something put similar where I went to the doctor and actually I put sort of catastrophized something happening with my daughter mm. and it was only about three months after my dad had died and I walked in and started saying all these huge things that I thought had ha were happening to her and he just paused and he said can I just stop and just ask if there's anything that's happened in your life recently I thought god you're so clever aren't you <laughs> and, um, yeah and then they gave me some recommendations of people to speak to and said your yeah. daughter's fine it's Gosh. really common, you know, we try and take control because death is a lack of control. So we just look to ways to be in control of our situation because everything we've known and cared for has been whisked away. You have said that when your father died, carry out, people didn't really talk about death. And I mean, has masses changed? I, I don't know. It's quite British, isn't it? It's, it's quite human nature. But is that ultimately why you wanted to start your podcast? I think at the time, you know, we forget it's sort of like the 90s feels like five minutes ago, but it's not, it's 20 years ago and, and people didn't really... Don't, we're that old, it. it's depressing, <laughs> isn't it? I kind of feel like, well, we're lucky to get to this age. That's kind of how I made myself feel better about my wrinkles. Yes, quite right. Yeah, people didn't talk about it so much. So when I started the podcast, I, I definitely wanted to make a show for 15-year-old me who thought that what happened to her was extremely strange, very rare. No one else had lost a dad to cancer and actually... And having done the show, I you know, I know there's quite a lot of people who've been through that experience. 
and I think it's funny because we always say, oh, it's British. And I actually did a show in um, Sweden. Mm. And when I went there, they were like a grief cast live. And they were like, oh, well, Swedish people are so bad at, at speaking about death. We're famously terrible about it. And I thought, oh, I think it's people. Like people yeah. aren't good at speaking about it. Apart from the Irish, every Irish guest I've spoken to <laughs> has been amazing about talking about it. I think death is very present in their culture. And yeah, well, they live with it, don't thing. they? Yeah, they, they have sort of their true. coffins in their house and they still have the, the coffin in the house, or they, you know, they see dead bodies still. It's still talked about. Like kids go to funerals. I think death is present in a way that we, and I'm talking very, you know, loosely about. I guess a British Protestant style of death ritual have m- removed it into hospitals and crematoriums and things where you don't mm. see bodies and so it doesn't affect you until it does affect you which is everybody everyone is going to be affected by death so you know I do think we're getting better at it but have we got a long way to go yes Laura would you agree your father having died more recently than Carrie Anne's would you agree that we still have a long way to go and that People don't talk about it enough and people don't yeah, say. Yeah, I think British people, they don't like to use the word death and died. And my dad had bladder cancer, but he actually ended up getting really ill from having a perforated bowel because of the effects of the treatment of the bladder cancer. And I was a big fan of listening to You, Me and the Big C, the podcast. And I remember when he was alive, them talking about how people don't use this word and people saying he passed away or or I've lost him. You know, them going, we haven't lost him. He's not in the sort of shopping centre. You haven't lost him. If you've lost him, go and find him. But I think people are afraid of it. And actually, it was one thing that I was really conscious of after he did die was to use the word, my dad has died, because I, I sort of felt like it put other people at ease in talking mm. to me about it in a way, I, whether that's right or wrong. Maybe it scares people off, but it is a fact, you know, you are born and then you die. And, yeah. and people it, are so worried just... about their language, aren't they? About if yeah. you say the word die, you almost put it out there. So exactly. Like, oh, what do I say? Do I say died or passed away? Or Yeah, and it, know, maybe, it maybe it encourages a conversation then for people to ask about it because I, I also think people sometimes are scared that they don't want to upset you. Mm. But actually, Carrie, as you know, it, it's the most enormous thing that will happen. And you do in many ways. Well, I did. In many ways, I wanted to talk about it because you've lived through the most extreme situation I don't want him to be forgotten and I guess a way of him kind of continuing to be around me is is to talk about him I was a bit older than you Carrie and actually a bit depressing but I've also witnessed my husband's mother die and was with her when she died she died of a brain tumor and then his stepfather too I was with him when well he died in his sleep but you know I then went and spent time with him so you know I've been around a lot of close people's dead bodies and I guess by the time it came to my dad I guess you can't compare anything to your dad but death was a bit more familiar to me but one thing having witnessed those people is that I wanted to understand the process of the dying a bit more and what would happen and that's where that podcast to me was really helpful and I know you've actually interviewed Carrie Ad, Catherine Mannix haven't you? Yeah she's amazing Catherine Mannix amazing she's She's a a palliative care consultant who wrote a book with the end in mind which is just talking about different deaths that she has been there for as a medical professional and I think it really takes away the fear of what happens when someone dies and I'm the same so I saw my dad die and I saw both my in-laws my father-in-law and my mother-in-law I was there when they died and I think 
that's a bit rare. Some people haven't had that. And if you haven't yeah. seen a dead body, it can be terribly frightening. Yeah. Catherine, on, when I interviewed her for Griefcast, literally went through, this is what happens to a body when they are dying of a terminal illness. Like, they will sound like this. This will happen. Then this will happen. And the amount of emails I got from people saying, I was with my mum. I had no idea what was going mm. on. I didn't know what that sound meant. I'd heard Catherine say it. Now I understand. I thought, we just need to let people know talk we we just need to let people know because otherwise it can be quite a frightening experience really frightening and I I remember they talk about this death rattle at the end of life where it's basically you know your body can't clear the mucus Mm. but it's very frightening to listen to because it's not a nice sound it's quite a loud sound and it also if it's someone you love you know that it's coming to the end but the way that she described it kind of gave me such confidence that that was normal and that was part of the process and I think she's an amazing lady and I think if you're going through something similar I highly recommend seeking podcasts or her book or something because I found it hugely helpful and comforting these doctors and nurses that work in palliative care are just incredible yeah they really are god I couldn't do it you've got to be made of strong stuff haven't you are there conversations and stories that have stuck with you and resonated with you particularly carry out you've hosted your podcast for it's five years isn't it you know you've obviously talked to so many different people and done it in such a unique way and then it's a very clever way to approach it and just talking about it and yeah demystifying it are there some particular highlights you can share with us some anecdotes there's some stories that have really affected me there's others that have taught me stuff I think when I started interviewing the people about grandparents, I found that very interesting because I obviously lost my dad before I lost my beloved grandfather. So I always kind of minimised grandparents' death because I was like, well, it's not your parents. Mm. Like, I'm a 15-year-old, I lost my dad. And then I started interviewing people who it had really deeply affected them or their grandparents had been like parents to them. And that was really interesting. And I thought that's when this idea of grief hierarchy, which we talk a lot about on the show, I started to realise, I guess, my own internal grief bias and my own internal grief hierarchy that I had decided this was the worst death, this was this, this was okay. And I started to realise everybody grieves very differently for different things. And actually every grief is completely valid. And then, of course, I guess when I started talking to people about child loss and baby loss, and that was just something I haven't experienced. And so I always feel very sensitive about talking about that because, you know, I'm not someone in that particular niche of our club. Yeah, And it taught me a huge amount about pain, resilience, what people can go through, what they can't go through. And I guess it's just to listen. It sounds a cheesy thing to say, but to just listen to people's experience and just Mm. listen to how they say it affected them rather than coming on board with your own Mm. ideas of like, well, my grief was like this. Or I think this is what happens when a parent dies or a grandparent dies or a sibling dies. You know, again, Jade Adams' episode was one of my very first ones as well and she lost her sister to I think I'm pretty sure it's a brain tumor and and Jade spoke so eloquently and funny about what happened to her and Lou Conran's episode she lost a child at about 20 weeks it sounds a strange thing to say but it's one of the funniest episodes because Lou's comedian <laughs> and her way of dealing with that is cracking jokes and it's extremely painful and extremely funny but just giving Lou a chance to tell her story the way she wants to tell her story I found yeah, you know. Oh, just, I must listen I to that we... episode. I haven't listened mm. to that one. All that. I, I do think the grandparents' point is a really good one. I mean, I am lucky in that my parents are all alive, but I say all because I have step parents, but 
you're so right. You think, oh, well, that's how it's supposed to happen. So it's okay. And you're obviously totally fine. But God, I really miss my granny and I really felt it and it hurt so much. And God, I'm not comparing that to a sister or to losing a child, but it's you're still allowed time for grief aren't you yeah, you're still it's, yes grief grief is grief, still a massive yeah. hole in your family yeah. unit and, and um, grief as well is it's the end of something that was so for me I feel like I experienced a lot of my grief and again I don't know if it's because I witnessed my husband's mother and and I've always lived in fear of a parent dying but I think once my dad was diagnosed I actually did a lot of my grieving during his illness Mm. And I perhaps potentially was a bit more prepared for his death because I had grieved so much during that time. And you know, when he mm. ended up in ICU for 10 days and we didn't know if he'd make it or not, you know, we literally lived by the minute. And I think I did a lot of the grief then. And meanwhile, you know, I've got my granny who went into a home at the same time my dad was ill and she's going to be 100 in July, and she's wow. still sort of lying there, not doing anything. But So she's alive, but I feel like I've grieved for her three years ago in a way. You also had, Laura, that real conflict, and someone else in our team at, at Sherlock's, their parent also really, really tragically died too young. It was a long journey. But I know there's this sort of conflict of seeing your parents so ill and ups and downs and the pain and everything, but also wanting to hang on. Remember her saying, I know that I want my mother to be out of pain, but I'd have every extra minute of them in my life that I can have. And I just remember that really staying with me thinking mm. it's, it's never okay, but there is maybe a bit of peace that they're at peace. They're out of pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is the thing. We would like grief to be a really simple thing. Like, oh, I'm sad because they're gone and therefore I'm sad. And then one day I won't be sad. And it's not. It's really, really complex. It's, only. It's, I mean, you can grieve when they get a diagnosis. You can not grieve at all. You can wait for 10 years like I did and then be like, oh, my God, I think I need to start grieving about this. And I think it's a deeply complex process. And if you try and examine your relationship with someone you love, you can't really put one word on it. Like a grandparent, a sibling, you can't be like, oh, it was this. Relationships are complex. They change over time. They depend on everybody's mood and age. And that's the same with grief. It changes over time. It's complex. It's difficult. And I think sometimes we're so desperate for this thing to go away and be simple that we try and put it in a box. And if you just accept, it's a bloody mess. Sometimes you laugh about it. Sometimes you weep about it. It just is grief. It becomes such an easier journey when you just let it be what it is rather than try and push it into some shape that makes sense to you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I think as well, like what you you just said there, it can come at really weird times. So it could be a time when actually something really happy's happened, mm. but it then hits you because because it's so happy, you want to share it with that person. And so that then triggers something that you suddenly get that kind of hollow in your stomach again. But if you told me that it would, you'd feel it at that stage, you wouldn't necessarily think that you would, if that makes sense. So it's yeah, a really yeah. weird thing. A grease sniper, one guess called it. Like you're just out and about and then boom, something hits you. And it, it can be on, the, like you said, the, it's the anniversary and it's pouring with rain and you find their watch. It could be as simple as that. Or it can be you pick up a packet of ham that you know that there was their favourite <laughs> or you see the back of someone's head and you're like, oh, that looks just, oh, it's not them. Of course it's not them. It's been, he's been dead 20 years. Why do I think it's that? Like anything can just so get you. And it's sort of just kind of, like I said, just going, okay, today that's what got me. So what you're saying is you can't predict when that's going to happen and that makes perfect no. sense. I mean, I get yeah. the packet of ham thing so much, but is there a way, do you think you can prepare yourself so that you are better equipped for when that person does die? You know, if you're going through with somebody in a terminal illness, um, you know, it's different, obviously, if there's a tragic accident and it's literally mm. that sudden, but you know both of you having been there are there ways people listening if they're going through this time can kind of prepare or can you just not because it's so unpredictable you can try and prepare you can kid yourself you're prepared but when someone dies yeah that's a door that's never been closed in your life before ever and that's a really new experience and I often compare it to having children because it's like if someone said to you how do I prepare to be a mum you'd be like you can't like I can't I can tell you to buy this muslin and have these nappies and I can give you a grow clock but until it's there and you have to deal with it that's when you figure out oh this is how I deal with it and it's the same grief like the thing I would advise more is don't wait till someone has a terminal illness just talk about it now talk about it now with people who matter to you now talk about what do they want for their funeral like where are all the passwords like like my husband's like you know the password don't you he tests me sometimes he's like just tell me you know (laughs) exactly these conversations that we put off i interviewed a palliative care nurse that um, was a good friend of mine kimberly st john passed away last year and I interviewed her colleagues and her husband for a special episode in dedication to her. And um, Irene Casey's a palliative care doctor at Guy's and St. Thomas's was saying, you know, what you learn working in palliative care is these conversations are very hard to have when someone is ill. <laughs> you think, mm. yeah, God, that's so simple, isn't it? It's like, you ca- you know, you can't book a holiday when you're drunk and tired. Well, you can, and it's awful. Like, same thing. <laughs> like, you can't have these conversations when very ill. It's very difficult. They might be on medication. They might be in pain. They might not be able to talk. So have the conversations yeah. now about how you feel about them. What was their childhood like? What do they want for their funeral? What music do they want mm. played? Like, are they actually secretly religious and they've never told anyone? Like, have mm. they got a will? All of these things. We can start the conversation now. And I know it's hard. I know it's awkward and difficult, but you might- I also it. think as well, there's less emotion there, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah my dad, when he was diagnosed with cancer, once he got the diagnosis, you know, some of these big conversations happened and it was sort of the state of the nation of you know, mm. what's here and what's there. But it felt like a very emotional conversation, whereas yeah, yeah. I, my husband and I have done it so much recently. I mean, we're, we're so organised if something goes wrong. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but it's felt like much more of kind of a factual thing rather than a 
administrative it should be administrative like it is administrative and anyone who's lost someone or had someone in their family die knows half of the stuff you deal with afterwards is admin my god it can go on and on and on oh on and on and on so in terms of being prepared you can't prepare yourself emotionally but you know like with a baby you can buy the stuff and read the books same with death you can buy some things you can get a will sorted like there are practical things you can do and I, well, I did a talk with um, a Macmillan nurse as well, and she worked with bereaved children. And a big part of the working with them, she said, was often trying to get them to cry because it's so important. Like, we know scientifically what chemically crying does. And, you know, this idea of, like, everyone wants to stop the tears. And she said when they're talking to children, they say it's medicine. They're like, oh, tears are medicine for you. Like, that's the same yeah. thing as taking cowpole. Having a cry is going to make you feel better. And when she said how that's how they said it to children, I thought, you say that to adults. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that is such a beautiful way of seeing it. Like hormonally, chemically, physiologically in your body, that's going to make you feel better. I think the thing with grief is it's such an overwhelming feeling that you think if I start crying, I'll never stop. What you need to know is you will. No one is constantly walking around waitress and saying everybody's crying. You know, eventually you get bored of it and some another thought comes in your head. Can we talk on a, oh God, I mean a very depressing level about anyone you've encountered Cariad, who might have gone through a child dying or a sibling dying you know yeah julia samuel who's a grief psychotherapist and head of child bereavement uk and uh, has written an incredible book grief works which i thoroughly recommend and um she always described it like there isn't a grief hierarchy but there is and it's child loss <laughs> like and and that is absolutely the worst because it is against the order of things and there is something fundamentally awful about that um i have a lot of episodes on miscarriage early miscarriage mm. late miscarriage i've listened to one of your episodes around miscarriage and it's such a lonely time for so many women mm. and again you're just told everyone suffers a miscarriage it's so normal get on with it at least you know your body can get pregnant that's kind of the rhetoric isn't it quite a lot of the time and yeah. i think we are getting better about talking about it we talk about the kind of thing that shed said, oh, i feel really like we have a mission to to do that and have these conversations but what can you share some of um your learnings and from hosting those episodes Yes, I think it's brilliant that miscarriages are so talked about and so open, but and we all now know one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, and that's a brilliant piece of information. But what I think that information has become, strangely, which I don't think it was meant to, has made us feel like it's not a big deal. And it's made women feel like if they have a miscarriage, then they're not allowed to be sad about it because it's just a really common thing and it's like stubbing your toe. Don't get over it. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, and actually it's made to feel like the chances are you will have a normal pregnancy, but not you're not allowed to feel grief. Yeah, you're not allowed to grieve for the one that you did lose. And so, yeah, I interviewed Zoe Clark Coates from the amazing charity Saying Goodbye, who has suffered multiple miscarriages herself. And the big part of what she was talking about was it doesn't matter how pregnant you are in commas, if it's one week one day one hour like you are allowed to grieve for that pregnancy that you that you lost that died and i think it's really important that we talk about it so yeah i have quite a few episodes about it as i said um zoe clark coates and i also spoke to mother pucker anna whitehouse who also suffered multiple miscarriages yeah, i listened to that one yeah sarah barron as well as a comedian who had a miscarriage while she was going through ivf uh lou conran who i said was much later on about in her pregnancy um and then i recently spoke to another stand-up garrett millerick whose wife suffered a miscarriage and it was actually an 
misdiagnosed ectopic pregnancy and again Mm. it was really important to get the man's point of view you know from how he felt about how he wasn't really allowed to grieve yeah god physically lost anything and i just think the more we acknowledge that if you feel grief then you're allowed to grieve you know equally if you have a miscarriage and you feel okay you're not that bothered and it was fine and then you get you know it didn't upset you in a way that's also fine but if you Mm. have a miscarriage and you lose a pregnancy and you feel grief you feel sadness for that thing that didn't happen you're allowed to grieve it doesn't matter what inverted Mm. commas you should be feeling i think we just need to get rid of the shoulds and the allows like Mm. you feel it if you hurt you hurt Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely can we talk about therapy? Mm-hmm. Have you had any professional help? When should you get professional help? Should everybody have professional help? I mean, I always say, I can't imagine there's a single person on the planet who couldn't get something out of some kind of therapy. Yeah. Is that like a common theme that everybody says has helped? What's your own experience? Um, no, so I didn't get anything as a teenager. I did try, but I turned 16 quite soon after he died which categorized me as an adult which meant that i wasn't eligible for like adult therapy and obviously yeah so when i was 15 i was only allowed to go to the child therapy which obviously i was too old for and then when i turned 16 it was like well you're an adult now and it was like well this is too grown up there wasn't anything for that oh my god tell me tell me that's not the case today it's like the most important very fragile age isn't it yeah and i mean there's some amazing charities like winston's wish child bereavement uk grief encounter like specifically aimed at helping young people deal with their grief as i said earlier i waited quite a long time i think it's a real privilege to have therapy like i was very lucky that i am able to navigate and advocate for myself within the nhs system so it's a system i grew up with english is my first language Uh, i am very dogged like so when they said it was two (laughs) years i was like oh wait i'll take every course going they sent me on mindfulness they sent me on cbt i was like tick tick i'll do it till you give me the therapy so you know i do think therapy is amazing if you can access it there's also an amazing organization called cruise bereavement care who really offer very low cost or free bereavement services for that like initial first bit so they're very specifically dealing with people in the in the first throes i think of it again you've got things like samaritans so i think if you feel the need to talk to someone do (laughs) whether that is a professional you might not be able to get access to that if you can yeah i would recommend it but if not there are some incredible books out there said julia samuel is a grief psychotherapist who is at the height of her game who wrote grief works and she just wrote this too shall pass and they are incredibly helpful books. And there's a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of grief communities online now on Twitter and Instagram that are offering help. But I think trying to find people who you can relate to, podcasts, as as I was saying, yeah. like, it's just trying to find a place where you feel safe to talk. And, and that might yeah. be therapy. That might be a very close friend. That might be going and shouting at a tree or talking to a graveyard. But talking, I do think, is a huge part of the process. There is also just on the privilege thing, and you're so right, you know, traditionally therapy is mind-blowingly expensive if you think of the sort of Harley Street world of therapy. But I think actually the pandemic has, you know, pivoted that world a little bit. And I know actually through a friend who's having remote therapy by the hour and it's done almost like mobile beauty is done as mobile therapy. And I know that she has found that way more achievable cost-wise. I think it's the therapy hour and I think it starts at 35 pounds for a half an hour session which when you compare to as I said the world of Harley Street it feels a bit more within reach so maybe that's helpful for someone listening I don't know can we talk about how you can support relatives friends your spouse you know who is grieving because that is 
so hard, isn't it? When you are so close to somebody that is hurting so much and you just want to make it better and you don't know how. Do you just have to give them time? Other things you can do from your own experiences. What advice would you give for someone who right now is thinking, God, I'm, I want to do something. I want to say the right thing. I think the key is support and the key is you're not going to make them better. So you can't go into it thinking, how can I make this better? Because you're not. Someone died. Yeah. That's sad. And I made that mistake when my husband lost his mum, who's really close to her. I really tried to fix it. Like I went all out. I'm going to like, I'm grief queen. I can fix this. And it was very <laughs> painful for both of us. And I had to sort of finally realise like I'm actually making it worse because I'm trying to push you through this process. And it's hard. Look, I think we need to be honest. Grieving people aren't always massive fun. Like, yeah, exactly. they're not that fun, and they can be real downers, and they are going through something awful, you know. And it's like, how do you support yourself enough that you can support them to carry on mm. being sad because they might need to stay sad? I would say the key is to ask. Just ask. Just ask. How are you? How are you today? Is a really great one because it doesn't have like the weight of how are you. Well, I'm yes. actually awful. My parent has just died. How are you today? And also you need to get, we, we all need to get in the habit of just being like, I'm really sorry that happened. I don't quite know what to say, um, but I want you to know I'm here and I'm yes. going to try and I might get it wrong. Please feel free to tell me if I get it wrong. Like just start with, I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> I also think as well, I had so many messages saying, let me know if I can oh, do yeah, anything yeah. to help. Like I'm like going through the worst thing ever. I am not going yeah. to say to you, can you do this? If you do it for me, I will be massively appreciative. Yeah. Yes, so, just put a yeah. lasagna on the doorstep. Don't yeah, ask me. I did. I have exactly I that. I yeah. had sort of piles of, you know, tinfoil little things full of, you know, lasagnas and pastas for the children. And it was oh. amazing. But I would never have asked for that because that would feel no. like, you know, such, such an Such good advice. I had a friend who knew when to, she'd nudge me, but equally if I was quiet you know, yeah. she knew that I needed that quiet time, but then she'd give me another little nudge every yes. now and then. You know, they might be your best friend in the world, but you don't necessarily want a counselling session every time. You know, a bit, mm. do you want to talk about it today or not? Or should we talk about yeah. something totally different? Like acknowledging it. I think, Carrie, you're so right to saying, I, I wish I could say something to make it better, but I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. And I had a brilliant episode with the amazing writer Kaylee Llewellyn, and she lost five members of her family in a year. Oh. and she described her best friend Matt came after her nephew had died he was the final of the five and he sat next to her on the sofa and he held her hand as they stared at a wall and it really stayed with me because she said at least I wasn't staring at a wall by myself that's it you you know we we search for what what can I do what can I do and it's like just literally being there next to someone as they are feeling the worst things in the world like something as small as that actually we can all do that we can all sit next to someone Totally. I think sometimes we make it such a big, oh, well, what could I do? It's like, you don't have to do that much. Like you said, ask a text, thinking of you, kiss, that's it. Don't expect replies. And then just checking in and being. And also somebody. staring at that wall sometimes can kind of lead into a moment where you kind of look at that other per person and go, oh, what are we doing? And then you get the giggles and suddenly sort of a, a weird, really sad moment has turned into something a bit yeah. weird and funny and and that you know you're really appreciative that you've got that to share that with that person yeah definitely 
is it ever too soon to get in touch? I think that's a it's a key question, isn't it? No, I don't think it's ever too ever too soon. Like I get it, like on the hour if you knew they just died, maybe wait an hour. People don't check their phones when stuff like this is going on. Like it's fine to just say heard the news, thinking of you. The important thing is you're not expecting someone to get back to you. Like that's the key. Agreed. You're not bothering someone. You're saying I'm here and I love you. Yeah. You know, just just be aware that you're not their priority. You're not. You're definitely not a priority, and that's fine. And me- mm. messages are great. You know, people can reply to messages when they have the time and they sit down and think, "Oh, actually, I do want to look at my phone." Yes. Like that's. It will just sit there as a red notification. Can we just briefly? I, I know we're we're nearly out of time, but just you've both got children. What do you do with children and talking about death with children? Are these open conversations you're having? What's your approach? Um, well, I'm in a sort of slightly like different to Laura in that like I my dad's been dead the whole time they've been alive so I've never had to sort of broach it but we talk about it and I say you know if she says where's grandpa I say he's dead and he died a long time ago and um I think that's really important because I don't want it to be a shock I don't want it to be like what oh my de- my grandpa said my mum never spoke about it I don't know if I should ask so I'm trying to sow the seeds now of at the moment she's four she doesn't really understand what that means but mm. when she's older she'll know that it's something she can ask me about and she'll know that I'm happy talking about it and that death is not this terrifying thing that destroys you and I think mm. again with parenting it's role modeling isn't it to say like yeah look I'm someone whose dad dies as a teenager and here I am I'm okay I'm sad some days yeah. and some days I'm fine and that's what I'm hoping to teach really. Mm. Laura what about you and your children you've got three young children but I'm sure two of them old enough to understand that their grandpa is now not around how have you dealt with that because I know he was a big part of their lives and he was an amazing grandfather and uh, what's what's your dialogue or your approach been with them yeah I think actually my children were really quite young when he died and my eldest was four and I think part of the things that I found really hard with him dying was them growing up and not remembering him. I still don't know that I'm doing it right. We talk a lot about when the sun comes out, that's him sort of shining down, saying hello. And I want them to be factual about death, but I I also don't want to scare them. You know, we we talk about my husband's mum having a sore head and that's why she died because that was what felt appropriate when they were three but as they get older I don't want them to think that every time I have a headache I'm going to die so it's a real fine balance and and I got given books which were aimed at children but in all honesty when you've just gone through something like that I found them very difficult to read in my head to myself I found them really really sad so I haven't really found books all that useful because it kind of brought up too much emotion for me I think I'm figuring it out. I don't know what the right answer is. My youngest son is so like my dad that it makes the conversation of him much easier because we're always laughing. You know, it could be the way he puts his hands in his pocket or the way that he coughs is just exactly the same. So it makes the conversation of him, it kind of keeps him alive in that sense. But they very much know that he's not coming back because I get that a lot. You know, when's Bump coming back from heaven? I get that an awful lot and I think it's just the older they get the more they realize that you don't unfortunately come back from heaven my youngest keeps saying mommy are you going to die when are you going to die I mean that's a whole other god how does one approach that that's another but I do think as you just said you know that I have been surrounded by a fair amount of death in my life and I think what it does is it makes you realize how 
precious life is. You know, you don't know what's around the corner. And I think it does teach you to kind of grab life by the hand. So even though it's tough and painful and horrible, you, you do learn from it too. And that yeah. hopefully, you know... Be a bit more carefree and, and yeah, you're so right. It does, it does especially this last year. Cariad, um, your book, You Are Not Alone, comes out next year. Yes. To, to ask you what it's about, it sounds like the most stupid question anyone's ever written, <laughs> but it's in front of me. <laughs> Tell us. Yeah, it's out spring next year and it's been a very strange process writing it in the middle of a pandemic, but I have done it. And um, also I had a baby at the same time, so it was a strange thing to do. But yeah, it's about everything I've learned from talking to hundreds of people about their grief, really, and the things that have come up again time and time and time again. And the way that we are currently dealing with it, I suppose, the modern grief that we are currently facing. And and it's just a sort of fun collection of essays. (laughs) about grief if you can say that grief books are fun but i promise you some of it well i think the fact that you bring your talent as a comedian to such a difficult subject is a breath of fresh air and you're full of empathy and words of wisdom and yeah with a really unique approach and um i'm sure well i know your podcast is hugely comforting to so many people if you are someone that's struggling or know someone that is then i really encourage you or them to listen to the grief cast podcast well i think that's a good place to end cariad wow so many words of wisdom i cannot thank you enough i hope people feel comforted and encouraged to talk and to listen and to give things time do listen to the grief cast it's brilliant and laura wow um you've been really generous and thank you for sharing with us today i know it's still very very raw but um i'm sure you would have been a huge comfort to so many that's it for today if you enjoyed that then do please rate leave us a review subscribe tell your friends to listen to and we will be back soon thanks very much bye-bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.